This is Bradcast producer Desi Doyen. Please enjoy this encore presentation of the Bradcast that was originally recorded on February 11th, 2022. When you're going to be buying that level of vehicle, over 165,000 vehicles, uh, and only 10% of them are green, uh, that doesn't really make sense to me. No, it doesn't make sense to me either, Congresswoman. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Are you going to do something about I've it? I've got the feeling that something ain't right. Open so. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Hey. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN and Eureka's KGOE, up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO and Eugene's KEPW, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. And yes, we stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the internet on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman. Your friendly, uh, what am I? Uh, your friendly uh, <laughs> investigator. There we go. Blogger. Investigative blogger, journalist, <laughs> troublemaker, muckraker, and all around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. I got it right? Yep. It's been a long week. Hain it. Anyway, uh, I have, uh, hi, Des. Hi. I have, uh, as you know better than anyone, Desi, yes. I have been fuming, fuming, frankly, uh, since last week when we covered the fact that in 2022, I'm correct. This is 2022, right? Yes, that it is. much I got. Okay. In 2022, the U.S. Postal Service is actually planning to buy 165,000 new delivery trucks, and all but 10% of them are going to be gas guzzling cri- climate crisis nightmares, which will get just over eight miles per gallon. And burn millions of gallons of uh, climate-killing fuel into the atmosphere in yeah. 2022. It's a, it's a tad enraging. The uh, White House is trying to stop it from happening. The EPA is trying to stop it from happening. The state of California is trying to stop it from happening. And to force the USPS to go all electric with these 165,000 new trucks. Uh, at the cost of billions of dollars. But so far, the service is, uh, which, by the way, is still being led, incredibly enough, by Trump's corrupt postmaster general, Louis DeJoy. Uh, so far, DeJoy and company are standing by their plans and their ridiculously flawed cost and environmental study in order to do so. Happily, 
I am not the only one enraged by this. We will be joined momentarily by a senior environmental attorney at EarthJustice.org who testified uh, this past week to the Postal Service Board of Governors about all of this and whose group has re- has received about 15,000 comments from the public to give to the USPS on all of this, but the Postal Service says they are not interested at this time. So we will talk about that and uh, more with him shortly. I'm sure it won't be enraging at all. But hey, <laughs> are you like me? Do you wake every day wishing there was just one more existential constitutional crisis left over from the Trump administration to be outraged about? No, not really. Oh, well, then I got bad news for you, Desi Doyen. But for everyone else, good news. As the uh, New York Times is reporting, the Central Intelligence Agency has for years been collecting in bulk without a warrant some kind of data that can affect Americans' privacy. That, according to a newly declassified but still heavily redacted letter by two Democratic senators. The CIA kept censored the nature of the data in question when it declassified the letter. At the same time, it declared that a report about the same topic which had prompted the letter must remain fully classified other than some very heavily redacted recommendations. That report, called Deep Dive 2, which does not sound nefarious at all, was part of a set of studies by a government watchdog board scrutinizing the intelligence community operations under Executive Order 12333, or 12333, on rules for uh, intelligence activities that Congress has left unregulated by statute. Senators Ron Wyden, Democrat of Oregon, and Martin Heinrich, Democrat of New Mexico, who both sit on the Senate Intelligence Committee, made a surprising announcement about all of this late on Thursday, releasing a statement saying that they had discovered the CIA had been running a, quote, secret bulk collection program, unquote. The Democratic senators released the redacted version of the letter that they had sent to CIA Director William Burns and Director of National Intelligence Avril Haines back on April 13 of last year regarding this program. So presumably that would be a program that would have been in place prior to the Biden administration taking over. Now, in 2015... Congress had banned bulk collection of telecommunications metadata under the Patriot Act and had limited other types of bulk collection by the FBI under laws governing domestic activities like the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act or FISA. Uh, They reformed FISA at that time, but the senators write the CIA has secretly conducted its own bulk program under Executive Order 12333. And it has done so, quote, entirely outside the statutory framework that Congress and the public believe govern this collection and without any of the judicial, congressional or even executive branch oversight that comes with Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act collection. This basic fact has been kept from the public and from Congress Wyden and Heinrich wrote. 
So uh, according to Wikipedia, uh, Executive Order 12333 was signed in 1981 by Ronald Reagan. It was an executive order uh, intended to extend the powers and responsibilities of U.S. intelligence agencies and direct the leaders of U.S. federal agencies to cooperate fully with CIA requests for information. It was amended by two more executive orders issued by George W. Bush. So, you know, that's going to only be good in 2004 and 2008, uh, supposedly at the time to strengthen the role of the director of national intelligence. Part one is on goals, directions, duties and responsibilities with respect to the national intelligent uh, intelligence effort. It lays out roles for the various uh, agencies, including uh, the Department of Defense, Energy, State and Treasury. Part two uh, is about the conduct of intelligence activities and provides guidelines for actions of the intelligence agencies. Part 2.3, by the way, permits collection, retention and dissemination of the following types of information, along with several others. Information obtained in the course of lawful foreign intelligence, counterintelligence, international narcotics or international terrorism investigations, and incidentally obtained information that may indicate involvement in activities that may violate federal, state, local or foreign laws. So that's pretty general. That's hugely broad. Of the uh, Part 2.11, by the way, of this executive order. Uh, reiterates the proscription on U.S. intelligence agencies sponsoring or carrying out assassinations. That's good. It does not seem that what the senators are so concerned about right now has to do with assassinations, but with the bulk collection of data from presumably from Americans by the CIA. Outside of the statutory framework, outside of government oversight. Yep. Wow. The letter from the Democratic lawmakers was uh, sent late on Thursday, urged the CIA director and, and the uh, director of national intelligence to declassify information about this program. It claims that the Senate Intelligence Committee was not even aware of this CIA secret collection, whatever it is, in question until the month before the agency officially turned over a report on it. This would have been last April. So even the Senate Intelligence Committee did not know about this. Wow. An anonymous intelligence official told the New York Times that the committee did know about the program, just not the systems for storing and probing the data that was collected. Okay, Wyden and Heinrich did not provide details on the program in the letter or in their announcement on Thursday, such as who was being surveilled and what the full scope of the program was. The CIA's privacy and civil liberties officer, Christy Scott, told The Times that the intelligence agency is, quote, committed to transparency consistent with our obligations to protect intelligence sources and methods. And, of course, if there's one thing I associate with the CIA, that would be transparency. <laughs> 
the CIA recognizes and takes very seriously our obligation to respect the privacy and civil liberties of U.S. persons in the conduct of our vital national security mission, uh, security mission and conducts our activities, including collection activities, in compliance with U.S. law, Executive Order 12333, and our Attorney General guidelines, she said. But the uh, senator suggested that the program's hidden existence cut against Americans' understanding that various pieces of legislation enacted in recent years, quote, limit and in some cases prohibit the warrantless collection of Americans' records. In 2017, the government disclosed AG guidelines for CIA activities under the executive order that lays out rules for some of those issues, but it is not clear if the CIA has themselves fully developed procedures for carrying out those guidelines. A set of recommendations from the Deep Dive 2 report, which was looking at how the intelligence uh, community was collecting all of this information, the recommendations from the report uh, said at the time that the CIA had not developed policies or procedures regarding how the guidelines apply to whatever this unspecified, unspecified data actually is. The recommendations also said that when CIA officials uh, use an American's identifier as a query term when searching the unspecified data that a box pops up to remind them that the search must have a foreign intelligence purpose. But the officials are not required to record what that purpose was, and the recommendations urged that the agency do so. So what is actually going on here? That everyone is sort of speaking around uh, due to redactions and so forth? I don't actually know. Uh, but given the sort of the tenor and the tone of the letter from Wyden and Heinrich, it seems kind of important uh, and kind of troubling. And since I imagine you do not have nearly enough to be troubled by these days, <laughs> I thought I would share it with you here because it does seem troubling, uh, or at least Wyden and Heinrich seem troubled by it. They seem rather alarmed. They do. So uh, where this is all going, I don't know, but I kind of wanted to drop it out here and, and put it out there for you to uh, worry about, I guess. Uh, <laughs> we will keep our eyes on that story and let you know if, uh, if there's any more to worry about and exactly why we should all be so troubled by it, according to the senators. All right. You're welcome. So with that news out of the way for the moment, back to being troubled about something else entirely. That would be the U.S. Postal Service and the madness about what they seem dead set on being about ready to do here. Unless we all can figure out how to somehow stop them. And no, this does not have to do with Louis DeJoy's fantastic plan to slow down mail delivery and charge us all more for it. This actually is much worse, at least as I see it. That story is next with my guest from EarthJustice.org. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is The Bradcast.
Hey, this is Desi. The Bradcast and the Green News Report survive thanks to you and your support. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate today to help us stay independent every day over your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. Wait, wait, Mr. Postman. Wait, Mr. Postmaster General. (sighs) Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Last week, I covered a story that just, frankly, the deeper that I got into it, the more outrageous it became, and frankly, the more outraged that I became. As someone who regularly covers our quickly worsening climate emergency, to read a story in 2022... About 165,000 new delivery trucks that are being commissioned for manufacture and purchase for more than $11 billion by the U.S. Postal Service, a let's call it quasi-independent government agency, and all but 10% of those 165,000 new trucks are set to be gasoline-powered in 2022, Well, to use an uh, internal combustion engine metaphor, I just about blew a gasket. And the story has stayed in my brain and continues to, frankly, frankly, blow gaskets ever since with each passing day and the more I learn about it. As those uh, stats I just rattled off for the this new climate killing fleet of gas powered trucks purchased by our own government, As if that's not disturbing enough, let me add uh, that the new fleet signed off by Donald Trump's still in power for some reason, Postmaster General Louis DeJoy, will be more fuel efficient than the fleet being replaced after being in use for the past 30 years. It will, in fact, offer a 0.4 mile per gallon fuel economy improvement over the 30 year old fleet. That's right. 0.4 miles per gallon, 30 years later. While the old trucks averaged about 8 miles per gallon, the new gas-powered trucks will include air conditioning for the first time, so when the AC is running, these new trucks being purchased from a defense contractor in Wisconsin, which makes heavy-armed military vehicles, these new trucks are expected to get 8.6 miles per gallon. So there you go. According to The Washington Post, the new trucks from Oshkosh Defense are expected to burn about 110 million gallons of gas each year. And EPA estimates show that the greenhouse gas emissions from the new Postal Service's gas-powered trucks would total nearly 20 million metric tons over the vehicle's projected 20-year lifespan, roughly equaling the annual emissions from 4.3 million passenger vehicles. What are we doing? That, as President Biden has pledged to slash carbon emissions over the next decade and is rolling out the nation's largest effort ever to kickstart the nation toward a fast electric vehicle future. Now, we covered this story last week as the Biden administration's EPA and the White House Council on Environmental Quality or CEQ, had sent letters to the Postal Service last week urging it to reconsider the plans to buy mostly gas-powered vehicles and conduct a new, more thorough technical analysis. 
The EPA also asked the Postal Service to hold a public hearing on its fleet modernization plans, a request that the agency had rejected previously when California regulators requested the same thing late last month. And as if all of this... All of this is not uh, crooked or corrupt or just damn dangerous enough for the chances of humanity's survival on this planet. Vice's Aaron Gordon this week added at least one more outrage to this madness. He reports, while the USPS says the gas models have a fuel efficiency of 14 miles per gallon as long as the air condition isn't running, or 8.6 miles per gallon if it is, that is better than the current fleet that gets 8 miles per gallon. But this whole debate would be moot, he says, if not for a strange fact about the new USPS vehicles disclosed in a letter published by the EPA last week. If the vehicles weighed just one pound less, they would not even be permitted on American roads because they pollute too much. In fact, reports Gordon, if the trucks had a gross vehicle weight of just 0.01% less, the delivery fleet would almost certainly have to be electric to meet the EPA's new fuel efficiency standards. I mean, that seems almost impossible to not be intentional, one would think. According to the EPA's environmental review of the procurement, the new gas delivery vehicles uh, have a curb weight of 5,560 pounds and a payload of 2,941 pounds. That means their combined weight is 8,501 pounds. That is almost double the weight of the current USPS delivery vehicle. However, the USPS and Oshkosh Defense, the manufacturer, came to calculate the payload at 2,941 instead of 2,940. But that was a very important pound, Gordon notes. As it happens, 8,500 pounds is the dividing line between a light truck, which the EPA is pushing with increasingly stringent standards that cannot be met by gas vehicles, and a heavy-duty truck, which currently has no timetable for electrification standards. So, by one single pound, less than the weight of a single standard Amazon package, the new USPS vehicle will classify as a heavy-duty truck allowing it to not only be gas-powered, but pollute far more. And even after the Washington Post broke this story last week and Vice ran its own story on Tuesday morning, on Tuesday afternoon, Postmaster General Louis DeJoy was testifying before Congress and saying this. We need to make fiscally responsible decisions based upon our present ability to fund the purchase that result in the much-needed introduction of safer and environmentally cleaner vehicles for the men and women who deliver America's mail. We are confident that our next generation delivery vehicle program will introduce vehicles that are much safer and significantly more environmentally friendly than the vehicle fleet we operate today. Significantly more environmentally friendly than the vehicles we operate today. That was Postmaster General Louis DeJoy 
explaining why they are doing all of this. Now, apparently, the decision to end this madness at the Postal Service and to move to an all-electric fleet is not up to the White House or the EPA. Barring action from Congress, the DeJoy-led Postal Service and its Board of Governors will have to make this decision to do this on their own to electrify the entire fleet of trucks. But they claim they simply do not have enough money to do that. The House passed bill this past week, if also adopted in the Senate and signed by the president, would relieve the service of billions of dollars of debt that the uh, GOP majority Congress way back in 2006 had saddled them with by forcing the Postal Service to fund its employees' health fund 75 years in advance, which no other company in the world is forced to do. Moreover, the service is now flush with cash. At the moment, they have some $20 billion in pandemic funding. Nonetheless, according to The Washington Post, if the USPS, which enjoys independent status from the executive branch, disregards the Biden officials' objections and orders the new delivery trucks, environmental groups would sue. And Adrian Martinez, an attorney for the environmental law firm Earth Justice, told The Post that the groups will have a very strong case. Joining us now is Adrian Martinez, a senior attorney for the nonprofit environmental law group Earth Justice, where he works on clean air, clean energy and environmental justice issues. Adrian Martinez, welcome to the broadcast. And since you are here in Los Angeles as well, I hope you are enjoying the not unusual at all 88 degree temperatures in the middle of February, sir. Thank you for having me. Thank you. <laughs> so uh, I got a lot to get to here, uh, as you can tell, including the legal actions that your group may end up pursuing. We'll get to that in a moment. But let me let you fill in some of the details here on the claims by the EPA that the USPS's own economic and uh, environmental study was flawed. Uh, how so? Yeah, so the... The analysis was flawed, and it took every effort to make internal combustion or gas-guzzling trucks look good and electric vehicles look bad. And there were a range of inputs in their analysis where they did this. Uh, let me give you an example. Mm -hmm. So uh, the environmental analysis assumes that gas will be $2.50 a gallon in 2040. And so you could barely find a place in the country where it's $2.50 a gallon now, right. um, but they assume gas prices will remain low. And so what that does, it makes their calculations for what's called the total cost of ownership of a gas guzzling truck mm -hmm. look better than it should be. And they did this on a range of different issues, and it really kind of resulted in an analysis that was faulty and reckless to be completely candid. And so this is the information they're basing their decision on. Yeah, I was actually stunned by that because when they came out and they said that the uh, the price of gas would be the same in, you know, 20 years down the road, it wasn't the same, you know, six months down the road. It's pretty much doubled since they uh, put out their initial analysis, as I understand it. Now, you note in an email uh, to us that, well, you described some pretty remarkable numbers comparing the amount of gas that these trucks will burn to the uh, BP Deepwater Horizon Gulf oil spill. Can you detail that yeah. for us? Yeah, so the current fleet 
um, they're claiming it burns about 135 million gallons of gas a year. Mm-hmm. Although there is one point in the environmental analysis where they say 180 million. So <laughs> the, the document is rife with um, inconsistency, so uh-huh. it's hard to know. But it, what we're talking about is a lot of gas. Right. And under the Postmaster General's plan, uh, the fleet in the future would burn about 110 million gallons of gas. Mm-hmm. And so by going to 100% electric vehicles, we could prevent the need to burn 110 million gallons of gas each year. Mm-hmm. And this is huge um, from an environmental standpoint, but also an economic standpoint. By assuming that the gas is going to be so low, these are huge differences in costs when you're buying 110 million dollars uh, 110 million gallons mm-hmm. if you're off by a dollar per gallon let's say mm-hmm. that's a lot of money and so businesses wouldn't have those types of errors in their projections um it's not clear why the postal service is moving forward with this decision based on these really clear errors and you note know, the amount uh, that we're talking about burning each year is just about the same amount that was spilled into the Gulf of Mexico by the uh, uh, Deepwater Horizon disaster. And we would be burning it each and every year with just these trucks, which make up about 30 percent of the federal fleet that Joe Biden has uh, vowed uh, to fully electrify. Um, yeah. Given the cost of, of fuel, and I, I and, and you, you hinted this here, the Atlas Public Policy Research Group finds that the more expensive electric trucks would actually save the Postal Service billions of dollars over the life of these trucks. But uh, Postmaster DeJoy says it would be more expensive to run the electric vehicles. Uh, who's got this right? What does Earth Justice's modeling find here? Yeah, we think that the um, Postal Service has this wrong. Uh, They base a lot of their conclusions on their direct outreach to the defense contractor who received the vehicle Mm -hmm. bid, and they say, oh, we're relying on what we got back from this company. And what that neglects is there's a lot of additional um, vehicle manufacturers out there with expertise and vehicles mm-hmm. and electric vehicles. And so they really said they're going to ignore a lot of the prevailing data. They're going to ignore the fact that a lot of their competitors like uh, FedEx and UPS mm-hmm. and others are moving to electrics. And they said, we're going to base our determination based on what we're getting back from these uh, manufacturers who bid into our process. But, um, you know, uh, from Atlas, the. Yeah, Atlas EV is a very good and reputable firm, uh-huh. and their analysis has a lot of merit. And I think um, we that's why we're really pushing for them to do a new analysis, mm. one that isn't biased, one that's more honest, and we think they've come to a better decision if they did. And instead, they're relying on the information they got from the from the the, the company that is stands to benefit from this, a defense contractor that makes heavy duty armored trucks uh, for for their analysis. You know, last fall, the Washington Post reports the uh, service ran ads in Time magazine, et cetera, showing a lush forest with the line "New routes to an uh, to a sustainable world." Uh, or new routes, uh, new routes for a cleaner world. Real sustainability demands action. It says on their website. That's why we're updating our fleet with fuel-efficient vehicles to help do our part. 
Adrian Martinez, can't the service be sued for that lie alone, frankly? Well, I'm not, I'm not an expert in that type of law. I'm more an expert in, um, you know, <laughs> environmental analysis and whatnot. But uh-huh. at, at, a, at, a, at its root, it is misleading. To call these vehicles fuel-efficient is laughable. There is nothing sustainable about this decision. In fact, it's the opposite. And uh, you alluded to the fact we're in 2022, and having to have this debate mm-hmm. is just absurd. And I think that's why you're seeing so much attention, so many groups concerned about it, so many senators and congressional representatives weighing in, is this fundamental concern that the Postal Service is on the wrong track. And I think a lot of it stems from the fact that we all love the Postal Service, right? right. We want it to succeed. We want it to bring zero-emission trucks to every neighborhood in the country. And so I think, um, you know, it's, it's really frustrating when the the current management's digging in their heels on this issue because it just is such a bad decision. Oh, it is in every regard. And I, uh, another thing that I believe the uh, Postal Service has said is that the Oshkosh trucks that they're buying only travel 70 miles per charge, which even though most electric delivery vans now being purchased by their competitors have a range of well over 100 miles, but even at 70 miles per charge, doesn't the uh, Postal Service's own study find that that would be sufficient for 95% of its postal routes? Yeah, and that, and that was one thing we identified early in the process, is you're, you're only doing 10% AVs because 5% of your routes, uh, you, you claim, don't work from a distance mm-hmm. standpoint. So, you know, it is it is frustrating because you know, a lot of these vehicles are going an average of 20 to 22 miles a day. Right. And so to develop an electric vehicle that can do that for, you know, tens of thousands, if not 100,000 or more vehicles, it's not uh, rocket science. It's actually pretty basic technological feat. And so yeah. I think that's where a lot of the frustration is, is this, there, there are few fleets in the country, a few types of vehicles, more prime for electrification than a postal truck. And, you know, we presented this evidence to the Postal Service, and they're generally just ignoring it. And that's what's really frustrating. Yeah, no, it really is. DeJoy claims, uh, on the other hand, Adrian, that the uh, gas-powered trucks that they are buying could easily be retrofitted in the future to become battery electric vehicles if they had the uh, money for it uh is that a good thing at least yeah we don't think i mean it's hard to you know i think one thing is the public's operating in the dark mm-hmm. on a lot of these these issues right but it's our understanding that now that's not on the table even though that was once argued um it just doesn't make sense too i mean you know what we know generally is it's better to design an electric vehicle as an electric vehicle and mm-hmm. a combustion vehicle as a combustion vehicle. This notion that you can kind of swap in and out and that's easy is, is it's not born in reality. And so, um, and in fact, we think they've kind of scrapped those plans. Mm-hmm. We, you know, it has been a while since they talked about that. But it's hard to tell some of these things because a lot of the information in the contract, been redacted, and so it's hard mm. to really understand exactly what's going on here. 
Yeah, which also kind of blows my mind. I mean, they're saying this is proprietary technology or something where the public is not allowed to look at it. And I guess, do they get away with that because it's the Postal Service, so they're not really a government. They are a government organization, but they're quasi-independent. Uh, does that uh, you know, allow them to do things like uh, you know, keep the, the, the contract you know, redacted from, from the public? Yeah, I mean, well, large portions of the contract have have been released, so mm-hmm. we do know a little bit. But there's some basic information, like how many they're going to order each year, that we don't have, um, and then some other basic information. I think that Oshkosh provided to the postal service. So, um, you know, you know, there's some claims under some laws that they can withhold that information, but just generally, I think. Um, you know, this is this is our postal service. This is our yeah. public delivery of mail, and and we deserve to have some answers because you know I think the the what what information we are getting just doesn't make sense. Yeah. And I think you have a lot of groups, a lot of senators, a lot of congressional representatives are trying to make sense of a contract that appears to. To stink a little bit, and so <laughs> people are trying to figure out what where that stench is coming well, from. Well, yeah, that's that's an interesting way to put it. That it does stink uh, actually a lot, and I'm curious: did the uh, postal service did their analysis include data on things like air pollution, public health impacts, uh, and so forth? Because these trucks drive around into everyone's neighborhood. You know, they 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 sit there, they idle every single day. Uh, did, did the postal service have anything? to say about that in their analysis that you're aware of? Yeah, they did They did include that in their analysis, but, you know, EPA was working with them and provide some pretty stinging comments that they underestimated the pollution levels. Um, what a shock. And so, <laughs> yeah, so, you know, the experts in air pollution at EPA, uh-huh. you know, had some questions about it. And, you know, again, I think that's, that's one of the problems is that every turn in their environmental analysis, they took an opportunity to make internal combustion engines look better and electric vehicles mm-hmm. look worse. And so uh, um, a lot of that was done on the benefits of moving to electric vehicles, the costs, and just a whole range of other analysis that they did. Uh, in the meantime, uh, uh, Adrian Martinez, I believe you testified uh, this past week at the uh, to the uh, Postal Board of Governors. Uh, how, how did that go? What did you tell them? Well, you know, I told them a couple things. So I encouraged them to do a new analysis. I gave the specific example of gas prices, and I talked about what they assumed gas prices would be in 2022, which was, um, you know, I think $2.14. I encouraged them to go to any gas station in the country and find yeah. uh, gas at that price right. and assume they couldn't. And then the other thing is I did express uh, concern about the decision that I believe has been made to move the manufacturing of these vehicles to South Carolina instead of in Wisconsin when they could be made with uh, union labor. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, those were the three things mm-hmm. I raised to them. Um, but, you know, I think we heard the Postmaster General's comments and he he seemed pretty resolute to move forward with this reckless approach he's 
proposing. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it matters what the public thinks at all here. DeJoy has made his decision, and that is that, and I want to talk about him in a second, but uh, apparently the USPS is not even taking public comments on any of this. Your group has received some uh, 14,000 comments from members of the public that you were hoping, I guess, to pass on to the USPS, but they're not they're not taking any, any public comments on this at all? Yeah, it was interesting. So I, we sent a comment letter from 18 organizations on Friday, and on Saturday I received a, a response back that we're not accepting comments on the environmental um, document at this time. So... Um, you know, we haven't heard otherwise, so, you know, they rejected wow. ours. We'd heard that they had rejected some other comments. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, thousands upon thousands of people are weighing in mm-hmm. because this is this is an issue that is so close to home, and people care about it just so much. And so, you yeah. know, I think, um, you know, I think people will continue to weigh in. Um, you know, we still have an action alert up where mm-hmm. folks who are concerned about the future of the postal service and mm-hmm. its trucks can take action and send a message to the board of governors of the postal service. A lot of other organizations also have those types of action alerts, but you know, it you know, we don't, we hope they're listening. You know, one of the interesting things is you know, 20,000 earth justice supporters filed comments during the draft portion of the environmental analysis. Mm-hmm. And when the Washington Post first reported on this issue, some folks in upper management said, we didn't know there was controversy over this decision. And we said, what? You know, we had 20,000 of our supporters send a message to you that Uh this is a reckless path, and you didn't hear about it. And so this time we sent it directly to the Board of Governors, but it, it, it remains to be seen if they're accepting them or what they're doing. Maybe they're... Uh, you know, dropping them in the recycling bin. Yeah, and and they're not uh, the EPA and California both have asked for some public hearings on this matter. Uh, it's incredible that there haven't been any. I guess uh, in a, in a in a post, uh, the, a piece that you posted over at EarthJustice.org, where yes, people can also sign on to those action items. Uh, you argued that the postal service truck could become America's favorite electric vehicle if. The Biden administration plays hardball. Well, what kind of hardball can be played at this point by the Biden administration if the ultimate decision on all of this is left up to DeJoy and the Board of Governors? Yeah, I mean, there's different things that the administration can do. So, for example, you know, President Biden still has some outstanding appointments to the Board of Governors. So getting some people in there who understand electric transportation and the importance to the climate and our clean air future. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think continuing to push the administration, they just uh, announced a big electric vehicle charging project yesterday. Um, some reporters asked them about this postal service issue. It's not mm-hmm. clear exactly what they're going to do, but, you know, I think continuing to put the pressure on the postal service, um, helping them understand that their analysis is just not solid. And so, you know, I think that's what they need to do. And then I think, you know, we need we need to make sure, you know, management understands that people are frustrated and they're concerned. And they need to just not dismiss that outright yeah. um, because they decided they wanted to move forward with all these gas-guzzling trucks. Um, so, 
yeah. it's yeah frustrated is a very nice uh, way to put it adrian <laughs> and <laughs> and and speaking of frustration and you mentioned the uh, appointments to the uh, board of governors I, I get can you explain why the hell is the corrupt donald trump appointee louis DeJoy still in his position as postmaster general more than a year since joe biden has taken office and uh what's the holdup on naming new people to that board of governors who could vote to get rid of DeJoy once and for all yeah so the board of governors which is the body that oversees the postal service they're the ones who can essentially hire and fire the postmaster general and so, um, you know, it's really up to them whether the Postmaster General is doing a good job, mm-hmm. and they can decide to put someone else in charge. And presidents get to select Board of Governors appointees. Mm-hmm. It's a bipartisan committee. There's not allowed to be more than five Democrats or Republicans on the Board of Governors. So... Yeah, it's just really about has it, people. Has any nominated uh, people to fill the slots already? Is that is? It, it, yeah. Remember, I feel like he's nominated it, but they're waiting for the Senate now to catch up and to uh, push yeah. those folks through. Is that is that where this is? Yeah, I mean, and yeah, I think the Senate still needs to confirm these um, candidates, and I think a good question for these candidates is what they think about the fleet. Yeah, um, you know, I think. <laughs> yeah. The public has just been so engaged in this issue because it is so important, and I hope that they have some good answers on this because um, what's happening with the current management, if they proceed with making this decision, is just reckless, and hopefully we can get some you know, folks who are going to look at it fresh and understand that they need to do better. They need to purchase more electric vehicles, and they need to actually be clean air and climate leaders. All right, two quick questions here before I got to get out, Adrian. Uh, this past week, the House uh, adopted a bill to reform the Postal Service to, among other things, relieve them of billions of dollars of debt. Does that bill at least require uh, that they uh, the service electrify their fleet in exchange for all of these very nice favors from the American taxpayers? Uh, no, not at this point, no. And so now that bill's in the Senate. And and how can that is was that because that was the only way they could get it through that they could get Republican support on it? Do you know? Well, it was a carefully negotiated bill, so it was our understanding that a lot of the bill language had been fully developed before this controversy became such a massive national issue. Mm. So you know, so the, it's still in the Senate. So obviously, senators are vetting it. Um, you know, the, you had sixteen senators write a letter to the Postal Service. So, uh, you know, the Postal Service has a lot of answering to do to our elected leaders about what they're doing. Senator, did the senators ask specifically about electrification of the fleet? Yeah, they said they, well, they asked about electrification, they critiqued the environmental analysis, and Mm -hmm. they asked for a public hearing to talk directly to the American public, and more importantly, to have an ability for the American public to testified to the Postal Service. And so we'll see. It's looking like they're going to reject that effort or that request for a public hearing, which is it's pretty brazen to, yeah. re- to reject what, what 16 senators and three congressional representatives asked for in addition to 
the EPA and the White House Council on Environmental Quality. At the same time, those people are going to give you billions of dollars. Yeah, I would call it brazen. Uh, finally, Adrian, if uh, man, uh, if all else fails, as I understand it, private groups uh, and individuals like Earth Justice could sue under the uh, NEPA, the National Environmental Protection Act. Uh, is that true? How would that work? And what rights does that afford the public if it has to come to that? Yeah, so really the environmental groups and other community groups and others who might challenge this decision, they're kind of the uh, goalie uh, protecting the goal here and the last line of defense. Um, so, yeah, if, if, if they move forward... Um, Citizens could file a lawsuit in federal district court and seek to stop this and actually require that they do a better analysis. And so it's unfortunate it gets to that. You know, I'm, I'm an environmental lawyer, but my big um, advice to folks is you actually don't want to be in court. You want to try to resolve these mm-hmm. disputes instead of having to rely on the courts. But, you know, in this case, the the... The Postal Service just seems very resolute to, um, you know, make one of the largest vehicle contracts in history a, you know, gas-guzzling contract, and it's just impossible to sit on the sidelines on this type of big issue. Gas-guzzling for the next at least 20 years, and like I said at the the top here, for those of us who cover this uh, regularly, who read the science, who understand what's going on, who are frankly terrified by what we're reading. To see a story like this, it just blows at least my mind. I don't know if the public fully gets it or not because they're, the coverage of the climate is just so crappy overall for the general public. I'm hoping enough people understand and will make enough noise. And, and folks like earthjustice.org is certainly trying to help. Folks can go to your website, uh, sign on to those action alerts. Maybe they'll someday get through to... Uh, DeJoy and the Board of Governors. I hope they do. Uh, you can also find Earth Justice on the Twitters at Earth Justice. And you can find Adrian Martinez, their uh, senior attorney for clean air, clean energy, and other environmental justice issues at Earth Justice. You can find him on the Twitters at L.A. Smog Guy. Adrian, really appreciates joining us today, sir. I hope you will uh, stay in touch as this moves forward because. I don't know if the public is angry about it, but I sure am. So I'd love to continue talking about it until we win this one. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Thank you, Adrian. This story has been driving me nuts, Des, <laughs> for the past week, as you know, as well as anyone. I do know. And while you guys were yeah. talking, it occurred to me, hey, what if the public sends lots of letters by U.S. Postal Mail to directly to the board of directors? Snail mail? Snail mail. Bury the post office in snail mail? Yeah. So basically... It, it could be like one of the ending of that uh, Miracle on 34th Street movie where <laughs> they get so much mail that they just have to... Yeah, that they get so much mail. So uh, you can address them to the U.S. Postal Service headquarters to the chairman of the Board of Governors, Roman Martinez. The address is 475 L'Enfant Plaza. That's L apostrophe E-N-F-A-N-T Plaza Southwest, Washington, D.C., 20260. So that's to Roman Martinez, and the address is? 475 L'Enfant Plaza Southwest. L'Enfant? Who can spell that? L apostrophe E N F A N T Southwest Washington D C two O two six O two O two 
888-900-3960. Or don't include the zip code and just make them work for it. <laughs> we're paying them plenty. All right, quick break. And we are back with, uh, oh, well, this may be a less outrage, out, outraging story. Okay. We'll find out right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is supporting you and the things that you care about. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to counter the powerful corporate media echo chamber. Right now, as much as ever. If you choose to support us, you can do it really easily, safely, and quickly via bradblog.com donate. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. There's a star waiting in the sky. He'd like to come and meet us, but he thinks he'd blow our minds. Uh -huh. There's a star waiting in the sky. Yep. He's told us not to blow it. I know, I love the song. I'm letting it play. Uh-huh. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. At the end of a recent Green News report, Des, yeah. I had mentioned Tesla, remember? And we were deciding what music to end it with. I mentioned Bowie's Starman. But you thought that the reference was too much of a deep cut, and, yeah. and, and, and you were right. Do you want to explain why that was a deep cut at the end, uh, talking about Tesla? Right, because uh, Elon Musk, a couple of years ago, shot his own personal Tesla Roadster, the very first one ever created, out into space. And it's playing this song, at least until its battery runs out. Right, in a in loop space. forever on the way to wherever it's going. Exactly. So we didn't think anybody would get that. But that song has been in my head ever since. Yeah. So I thought I would play it to maybe see if I can get it out of my head now because now I have a story. Yeah, I'm ha After a week like this or a month like this or five years like this, you may be looking for a different planet to move to. Mm. And if so, I've got good news for you. Okay. Or maybe for your kids or your grandkids or something like that. SpaceX's Elon Musk said on Thursday that the first orbital flight of his towering starship, the world's most powerful rocket ever built, could come within the next month or two. Hmm. He, while he anticipates failures, he's confident that Starship will reach orbit by the end of the year. Musk provided his first major Starship update in more than two years while standing alongside the 390-foot rocket at SpaceX's Texas spaceport, urging the nighttime crowd, quote, let's make this real. NASA plans to use the fully reusable Starship to land astronauts on the moon as early as 2025. That's kind of cool. Musk, meanwhile, hopes to deploy a fleet of Starships to create a city on Mars, hauling equipment and people there. You want to go? No, not personally. No? Not until I have a sense of how they're actually going to do it, because right now it's not really something that is possible. Really? Yeah. Well, but he'll, maybe he'll get there. 
Yeah. Maybe he'll yeah, figure Elon it out. Elon disagrees with you. I know he does. Uh, and for now, the initial flights would carry, especially since he's saying there's going to be failures. So would you like to go on no. one of those? He's Thank saying you. the initial no. flights w- uh, would carry Musk's internet satellites called Starlinks. That doesn't sound evil. Into, or- into orbit. He said there will probably be a few bumps in the road, but we want to iron those out with satellite missions and test missions before putting people on board. That's thoughtful. SpaceX's super heavy first stage booster has yet to blast off, but the futuristic bullet shaped steel starship perched on top and serving as the upper stage successfully launched and landed on its own last May following a series of spectacular explosions. Oh, well. SpaceX is now waiting for approval from the FAA before proceeding with the uh, next phase of Starship that would be going into orbit. Musk says uh, he expects to go ahead in March and that the rocket should be ready to fly by then. Uh, That would put the launch in the next couple of months. If the FAA demands more information about potential environmental impacts or lawsuits emerge, Musk said that Starship uh, could launch from uh, could move to NASA's Kennedy Space Center Center in Florida, uh, but that would delay the first orbital launch by more than half a year. Right now, I think the SpaceX HQ in Texas is like right in the middle of an urban area, or at least if it's not urban, there are people who live there, and the residents yes. are not happy about all of these rockets taking off at the end of their block. Yeah, surprise! It's kind of loud. They don't like it. Much less this huge enormous whatever it's called uh, falcon heavy or whatever it is so uh, uh, he envisions uh, musk envisions uh, having starship launches three times a day rapid reusability some going off either from texas or florida or from ships he says they could launch Uh, musk estimates a starship launch could wind up costing less than 10 million dollars which he calls crazy low and ridiculously good Starship has already has one private customer, apparently, a Japanese entrepreneur who bought a flight around the moon and plans to take a dozen artists with him. Musk hinted there are others interested in buying trips, saying future announcements will be forthcoming. Until now, SpaceX has relied on the much smaller Falcon rockets to launch satellites and send astronauts and cargo to the space station. Its first private flight purchased by a billionaire was last September. Another one is coming up at the end of March. This one will go to the space station with three businessmen who are paying $55 million apiece. Must be nice to have money to burn. What was that about their taxes being too high again? Now I'm angry all over. All right, (laughs) got to go. Thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to earthjustice.org's Adrian Martinez, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other, you can download them all for free anytime at bradblog.com. Elon Musk will have to pay five, $55 million, however, to download them. <laughs> Everyone else, it's free. All made possible by you kind folks who stop by bradblog.com slash donate. Drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, you will find me at the Brad Blog. Unless I go to Mars. That's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Let the children lose it. Let the children use it. Let the children lose it.
belong to children, boogie. 